Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, June the 23rd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us put on Christ's goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 16. What, is, what, is, uh, what precursor our time today are important words and important names and a lot of information. Israel and Judah are going through kings like water, Zechariah, Shalom, uh, Menahem, Pekahiah, Pekah and Jotham. And we get to today, we get to Ahaz. And we understand once again why it has been said throughout these kings, we need a better king. And we'll see how their faith and their worship withstand generational and cultural influences. And once again, we are pointed back to our Lord and we see Jesus. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome Pastor Neil Wemus of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. Pastor Wemus, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Uh, Thank you for having me on. So, Pastor Wemus, I like to do this a little bit. I'm a born and bred Minnesotan, and um, and one of the uh, the games I remember playing in high school was six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Uh, you remember this? You remember those kind of the movies of Kevin Bacon? You remember this? Yes, I do. See, and I like to I do this. Now, I think Samuel L. Jackson might be the new guy. Oh, new Kevin no Bacon. doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Samuel Jackson, <laughs> that'd be great. Um, and I like to do this with my guests sometimes, not all the time, but when I know there's a connection, is six degrees of separation from Minnesota. So do you have any Minnesota connections that we can make today? Well, uh, I was baptized in uh, in Min- Wolf Lake, Minnesota. hey So spent <laughs> the first several years of my life in Moorhead, Minnesota. And yeah, I drove up there, spent a lot of time up in uh, the Park Rabbits area when I was growing up, and yeah, so. that's right. See, I so knew there was very a very strong Minnesota connection. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun. In another one of our guests, John Lakomsky, uh, he lives in Minnesota in the summer. And so we have a book that's called How to Speak Minnesotan. So if you, you know, next time we'll have you on, we'll have a few uh, pages from that to read to you just to bring up some of those. You know, you probably have forgotten how to speak Minnesotan all those years away from it now. So we'll have to bring that book out for you next time we have you on. How's that sound? Sounds good. <laughs> so, so Pastor, but but on a more serious note, tell us about yourself. Um, this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. I know you've been on KFUO before, but tell us about yourself and the work of the saints at Ida Grove. Well, I am well, I am here in Ida Grove, and we're a church of about uh, 900 members, but we're in a con- uh, community of about 2,000 people. Mm. So we're roughly about a third of the population of the town, because we have a few from the neighboring communities as well. Um, but we just had a uh, vacation Bible school, which was a, a wonderful week connecting with our kids, especially after the last year, because we did not do, uh, we didn't have Sunday school. We were very limited in terms of our midweek program through this year because of the pandemic. 
And so it was such a wonderful thing to be able to uh, share the gospel with these kids, uh, many of whom had been separated enough that they kind of forgotten. Mm. And so it's, it was such a wonderful week. Uh, this coming weekend, we're going to be having an outdoor service during Heritage Days, which is our town's uh, community festival. And so we're going to be out in the park praying it's not overly hot <laughs> or raining, whatever those do. So, <laughs> so it's a uh, lots of good stuff going. Going to hire things next next month. Finally, bringing some youth there. So yeah, it's going to be yeah, a lot of good stuff going. And that's exciting to hear of coming, what do you, how do you say it, going back to precedented times? You know how everyone kept saying this is unprecedented times, and then that brought up the question of what was precedented exactly? Um, so I'm going to use that language. Is you know It's nice to go back to precedented times where you're able to go to VBS and your local towns are able to have those community festivals that, although are not required, boy, they bring people together in wonderful ways, especially the church, to show that you want to serve the community and go to youth gatherings and youth events and, and just to be a community again, the body of Christ. So that is, that is great to hear. So you, are you recovered now from VBS? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What a, what a joy to hear of this. Now, here's one more degree of separation I wanted to highlight just because I love family trees. The Finners, so the Finnern lineage came through Denison, Iowa, which isn't like right next door to you, but it's within earshot, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they're, just yeah, just south of you. And you are right. Half hour. Uh, half an hour. I get that's close enough for Minnesota. That's a, that's a close connection there. And for yep. you, you're right between what's called Holstein, Schweizvig Holstein, those two little towns. And that's an area of Germany that the that the Finnerns came from in North Germany, right by Denmark. So you are right in the middle of what I say as part of my heritage. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I, I could believe that because we have some Finnerns around here. You do that, that I know of. Yeah. Oh Lord, well, have we, mercy! All right, I think over in Olderbolt we have a there's a nun. Her name is Sister something Finnern. She runs the she's in she does a runs a shelter for victims of human trafficking in wow. your city. All so right. She's from Odebol. So, yeah, there you go. See, the thinner <laughs> name is out there, and it is wonderful. So, anyways, we, we could talk all day about that. But we're here to be back on the farm, um, and we are studying 2 Kings chapter 16 as we pray for the Holy Spirit to show us Christ in this. Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? Yep, I'm going to use the good old the good old collect. So, please, please. Uh, Blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Wemus, we are now, like I said, in Second Second Kings chapter sixteen, and it can feel quite often like we're just repeating ourselves. 
the the sin is seems to be the same the names start seeming the same uh the kings have a common line which is that they've done evil in the sight of the lord or they've done right in the sight of the lord but not quite right enough so pastor as we come to this chapter what what leads us to this point do you have any background or contextual information to help us out this morning well, I think one of the things is like when you go into second, I mean, just going through first and second Kings, and if those have been listening for a few weeks, they're, yeah, they're thinking that way, this way. But you can't help as you go through this, you keep thinking of what Samuel's um, warning was when they want, they demanded that king. Yeah. And he said, he told them what is going to happen. Then you have Saul and David was, you know, you know, wasn't you know he, there was good things about David, but he definitely had his bad moments. And then Solomon starts out good, and then it's yeah, we're just going through this um, litany of bad king after bad king, and um, you know, get into chapter, you go to chapter fifteen, the one we just finished, the previous chapter. It's I mean I don't know how many kings were in there. There's five or six of them, and. Um, and you'll notice that there's all except for two of them, I believe, were listed as like as ones who have done evil in God's sight. Mm. And the two exceptions were the king, the kings of Judah, and it's the kings of Israel that keep getting singled out. And that's going to come very much into play in this text um, because this is this is the one that's going to defy the rule, but it's also um, it's very much setting up where where you're going to go into Second Kings 17, the very tragic thing that's going to happen, and it's also um, setting up what's going to happen to well both kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's just the southern kingdom's a little bit farther behind. So yeah, it, it is quite shocking that um, I remember one of our guests, just their common line for our study was, we need a better king. And although although things seem to start off better, um, it usually ended in a lack of faith and a lack of righteousness in the Lord. And, and, and that's something where it's a good reminder for us too, is do not trust in princes, not in the sense of respect, in the sense of if we think that the hero of the Bible or the hero of our world are people, then we are sorely going to be um, we're going to be disappointed every step along the way. Which is why the hero of the Bible and this another guest said this so well: the hero of the Bible is God. You know, don't don't put a cape on anyone but Jesus in the scriptures. And I think Second uh, Kings definitely teaches us that. So, Pastor, anything else before mm-hmm. we dig in? I think that's a good start. <laughs> there it is. All right. So let's open up our Bibles and let's go. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV of Holy Scripture. Second Kings chapter 16, and we'll begin with the first four verses. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of Yahweh his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, 
according to the despicable practices of the nations whom Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Now, it it seems like the same story. And so, Pastor, how would you describe this, uh, the similarities, the differences, or anything that you found in these verses? Well, so this one actually it, yeah, it does seem a bit like the same, but there is a few details that show that the text, this is actually kind of different. Mm. And the first thing that's different is that, for one, this is the king of Judah that we're talking about. So this is um, the southern kingdom. And then the other thing is, the second thing is, it's in verse 3, it says, He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And this is a this is a note because remember we talked you know we just talked about uh, chapter fifteen where it's the kings of Israel the ones that are the they're the ones that are getting in trouble they're the ones that are constantly displeasing God and it's the kings of Judah that are having that are typically being um, spoken of well there's an exception um, there's actually only one exception to this and I put my notes somewhere so I'd remember but yeah. Where I, yeah, there we go. Uh, uh, Yehoram in chapter eight, mm-hmm. he's the only other one who is referred to, said to have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and this was a mark of condemnation oh, because yeah. it is showing that because the kings of Israel are the ones that have gone off, gone off the gone off track, and and this is something else I found interesting when I was going through some of the commentaries is and I. I don't know if there's a connection to this. Probably someone smarter than me will know this, but um, it's interesting is that throughout the book of throughout second Kings, every King it mentions who the mother is. And Ahaz is the only one along with Jehoram, who is the only, they are the only ones that are said to have walked in the ways of the Kings of Israel. And they're the only ones that do not have their mother mentioned. Uh-huh. And I don't know if there's, I, it's one of those, I'm kind of wondering if there's a, if there's just coincidence or if there is actually something there. And I'm going with, there's probably something there. I just don't know what. Right. I'll tell you, i tell you <laughs> so, what, uh, to, to interrupt you a little bit is this would be a great, um, a great time to call up Dr. Walter Meyer because he's currently working on the Second Kings commentary and have him address that in his commentary because I, I'm serious. He, he even kind of talked about when he had him on the program, just there's things that come up. This would be interesting for, for him to study. So I, I, I'm serious. Maybe we need to contact him and just see what the connection is. Of course, he's not busy at all either, so um, he might not want to do that. But anyways, but that is really <laughs> fascinating as we look at Ahaz because, yeah, he's compared to Israel, and in this case, that's not a good thing. So what else did you see? And then, so then, you, so those are the things that really stand out as different. And then at the end there, you could see um, just the, the things that he's doing. And so, I mean, burning his son is an offering. That's just um, despicable. And, you know, I mean, I read, you know, Luther just kind of, wrote about this and he was talking was like you know as if he thinks that he's you know he is not abraham abraham was often told to create a sacrifice but he that was just abraham and so for him to do you know this is just how far off he's going and then you know chapter verse four 
he sacrificed, made offerings on high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And basically, it's been kind of perceived that why he's doing this is he's afraid. He's afraid of um, Syria. He's afraid of Israel. And so he is sacrificing to any and every which God he could. And just, it's almost like he's trying to see which one will work Mm. and who will protect him. And so this is, and, you know, we'll get into the second paragraph. We're going to see who he, whose aid he, he seeks. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah, what, what will people do? He's seeking every God except for Yahweh. And it's not going to, it's going to bear very poorly. And so you kind of, you know, this whole thing where he says that he's walking the ways of the kings of Israel. This is, it's, you know, in the next chapter, the is, you know, chapter 17, it's going to be very early that the kingdom of Israel falls. And so this is also serving as a bit of a foreshadowing, letting you know that now the kingdom of Judah is going to follow suit. It's a bit behind, but it's it's going to same things can happen. It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. Yeah. The there's a few connections that I was thinking about as you were talking. Is Athaliah um, in chapter eleven that she you know one of her first things when she took over the kingdom was basically to destroy the royal family. And they had to protect Joash. They needed to protect him or else she would have killed him as well. You know, this was uh, this was grandma. I mean, think about grandma. I mean, grandma with apple apple uh, uh, um, jean vests and gra- making pie and all this. And grandma is the one who will even kill her grandson. And so things were so corrupt that when you hear this story of him burning his own son, it's definitely something that, you almost get a little jaded. You're like, this isn't, this is, well, this is bad, but you know, it's not as bad as grandma or whatever. So we really, you do get jaded as you read this because things were so corrupt. And as you said so well, that they had lost faith and trust in the one true God. So they're willing to go to the hills. And this was a reference. It happens often in first and second Kings of, of to go to the hills of the high places was not a like um, a monastery where you're going there for a retreat and then focusing on the one Lord. No, that was where they went and they might make a sacrifice. They might go pray to the Lord, but then they would also pray to all these other lords and gods that they had made up, even under the green trees, just to make sure that they've covered all their bases, which as we know, you can never pray to all the quote gods that are out there because there's only one true God that will actually answer your prayers. So they're not trust. They're not first commandment whole time. That's the issue. They do not fear love and trust mm-hmm. in God above all things. So anything else uh, in those first four verses? I, we could probably talk all day, but we need to move on. So you have anything else? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's keep moving on. Verses five through nine. We'll keep reading. Then Razan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. At that time, Razan, the king of Syria, recovered Elith for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elith, and the Edomites came to Elith where they dwell to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pelezer, king of Assyria, saying, 
I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of Yahweh and in the treasures of king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Razan. So, okay, so there's a battle, Syria, um, Israel, and Ahaz. Tell us what's happening in these verses. So, so here, basically, Ahaz, so this is going to the whole thing, he's afraid of, um, Israel, he's afraid of Syria, and he, he calls in the Assyrians to, um, to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, because the Assyrians have this massive empire, and so if anybody's going to be able to take care of this, it'll be them. And the things that he does, I mean, in, in a sense, it worked because he did take care it did take care of the to the of the Syria of Syria. Um, but the things that he did, and it's going to cause the problem. Um, I mean, taking silver and gold that was found at the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So, I mean, the silver and gold that was, you know, the treasury that is dedicated to Yahweh, he is giving to the Assyrians. And, you know, it's just abominable to even think of that. It's, um, I told this to people before is that, you know, you read the history of what the Assyrians were like. They were some very nasty, brutal people. Um, there's a reason why so many people were terrified of them. There's a reason why, like, you read Jonah, and he did not want mercy on them because of, you know, the Ninevites, uh, the castle of Assyria. And it's because yeah. of just how horrible, the same horrible things they did. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, during uh, confirmation, I gave uh, an assignment to one of our kids. Uh, they had to do a book report. One did Jonah, and she was like, "Wonder why is it that they don't want to give mercy? Why is Jonah so mad that they're not, that God showed mercy to these Ninevites?" And I, I was going to share a um, a link to the history of the Assyrians' brutality, and I was I decided not to do it because it it sounded like an episode of the next uh, Saw movie. The stuff that they, <laughs> that they would do, and so, uh, wow, it's. But I mean, that's the pe- that's the type of people that Ahaz is sending the treasures of the war to, to out of fear. He's not trust. He's not trusting Yahweh. He is trusting the Assyrian king, and it's kind of actually, you know, the whole thing is it's a very good. Uh, case on how we handle fear. Mm-hmm. How do we respond to it? Right. And when we are afraid of some, when we are afraid of something other than when we do, yeah, we we don't fear Yahweh above all things. We do some very stupid things. Right. And there's that's what Ahaz is doing, and it's going to get it's going to start. It's going to dig a hole. So. I like how you start us. You start us off today 
with the problem. And the problem is uh, fear. And, and biblically speaking, obviously, fearing the Lord is where we want to be because we would connect that to faith. Fear that he has all power, he has all authority, that he gives us all things, and that um, this fear is also understanding that he's a gracious God. Um, and we see that in the parables, uh, the, the problem, the, the reason why he got in the parable of the, the talents, why he got mad at the guy with one talent is he saw God in the wrong way, that it was not, that the master was, was not a gracious king, but as a king that, want, you know, basically you should fear in a very unhealthy way. But here he's fearing, he's fearing, but he's not fearing the Lord. He's fearing basically everything else. And that relates back to my own, our own lives is what are the things that I fear and then, as you said so well, that leads us to some crazy ways to live because we're so fearful that we're doing things that clearly are not the way God wants us to do it. And it, I don't know, can you reflect a little bit on how this relates to our Christian walk and how our fear leads us to do crazy things in our modern day context or any, any reflections on that before our break? Well, it's kind of what it was. Um, cause you know, if you take it, I'm, I'm thinking fear and the, not even just in the comforting part, just the, you're, I mean, this is kind of a fear of what, what could Syria or the King of Israel do to me if I don't, mm. you know, serve Assyria. Yeah. And so this, but they're not, he's not as afraid of Yahweh, not as respecting of him. And so there's, and I know that's kind of the law orientation of that. And, but the thing is, is that we do the same thing where we are more afraid of what would happen if we displease, uh, displease, you know, I can't think of a friend. Maybe we don't, we don't look favorable to friends, to our neighbors, because we're talking about our faith or we're, right. um, I mean, our neglect of our faith. Uh, we neglect it because we're more afraid what would happen if we miss this thing than if we miss this. And, you know, this, but the thing is, we come to faith, you know, come to the divine service to receive grace and mercy. And but we're more, we are so afraid of what happened if we don't go, we're not at this event or that event. Um, this especially comes true for our kids. The kids. Um, we're afraid if we're not, they're not involved in every last thing. Um, you know, is that going to keep them out of college? Are they not going to get a good enough job or, you know, are they going to get cut off the team or whatever if they are, you know, dedicating this time to their faith, to their spiritual development? And it's like, who are we? Which one are we serving? Yeah. You keep going. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's more than enough. And to be honest, I think it should take us all to our knees in repentance because, yeah, we, um, what can what can uh, man do to us, but what can the Lord do to us is something that we definitely need to fear um, because fear is a real thing. So, but right now, Pastor, I want to touch, I want to keep moving forward as we go to our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 16 with Pastor Neil Wemus, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. 
For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 16 with Pastor Neil Wemus of Ida Grove, Iowa. And as we have been going through this, I can't help but feel a certain amount of, I, I, I can relate with Ahaz, because if I had uh, Syria and I had Israel, which are two very powerful countries, right, uh, you know, right on my doorstep, and I'm looking around and going, what's the harm if I just get those big Assyrians to the north over there, which actually, as you said so well, Pastor, that didn't end well in that relationship later on, um, but but. If I get those guys on my side, then I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable um, because the alternative is what you're trying to tell me is just trust the Lord will take care of his people. And you're like, oh, well, what good does that tune to me? I can't, you know, uh, this doesn't sound as comforting as the Assyrian army. So I definitely I, I relate with what Ahaz is going through, but yet it's still the same problem that I have, a lack of faith and trust in our Lord. Any last thoughts in those first nine verses as we... Think about fear and being afraid and, and faith and all that? Um, not at the moment. I think this is, I think we're going to get this picked up even more. The problem that there is, I think of it like, I don't know how, what the best, I'm trying to think of a good analogy of this, but it's kind of, you have this really mean animal or monster or whatever that you're trying to ward off as you find one that's even meaner to protect you. But what you don't realize is when you're done, that really mean one's going to demand something from you. Ah, And that's kind of where we're going. And literally might eat you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) After all that's said and done. So let's keep going (laughs) here. 10 through 16. When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with, the, with all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz arrived in, from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king viewed the altar. Then the king drew near to the altar and went up on it and burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and threw the blood of his peace offering on the altar. Now, you know what? I want to stop there for a moment, Pastor. This makes me incredibly uncomfortable that he goes up to Damascus and I'm assuming that they, their altar of Assyria is not the same altar that they would have for the Lord Yahweh. Am I right on this? Well, from what I've from what I've understood, what I was reading on this, and so Uriah the priest is actually a, he's a good priest because um, he does get this actually gets mentioned a bit in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 7 and 8 are a little bit helpful in this mm-hmm. um, because, which is, you know, the familiar, um, I'll give you a sign, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, uh, mm-hmm. that whole 
that whole chapter that's being addressed by Ahaz. So that's Isaiah giving Ahaz advice on how to deal with Syria. And of course, he doesn't listen. And, um, and then verse chapter 8 tells us that Uriah the priest is a good, is a, it says, he was, I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, to attest for me. So he speaks highly of Uriah. Um, so, but the thing that's going to come up here is you're going to start to see, so he is, as far as um, Ahaz is concerned, he is um, sacrificing to Yahweh at this point. Mm, mm-hmm. But he's going to, he's going to be compromising and the compromising is going to be in the design for the altar, how the altar is designed. And this is where his, um, there's some dispute over what he does. Sure. And there's dispute whether he designed the altar to look like that of the Assyrian gods, or was it to um, the gods of Syria? Either way, his altar does not look, is not designed like it would be for Yahweh, but for these foreign gods. Ah, okay. Which is, you know, digging more into that problem. Right. Oh, my. See, just by reading this, it's important, you know, you know, the pathway of good intentions doesn't end well. I mean, it just doesn't end well. So you say, well, that looks like a nice altar. It's like, okay, so we'll make that. And you said Uriah is a faithful man, so he builds it because he wants to be faithful to his king. Um, and he and he does this, but you, you know that you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire in this situation, that you're going to Syria, you're putting this together, and who and this is probably not going to end well. So uh, let's keep moving on. I just wanted to reflect and see your thoughts on that because it made me uncomfortable, especially thinking of our own world. So verses 14 through 16. And the bronze altar that was before Yahweh, he removed. And the front of the house from the place between his altar and the house of Yahweh and put it on the north side of his altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest saying, on the great altar burn the morning burnt offerings and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt offering and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offering and their drink offering and throw it all the blood on the, of the burnt offering and the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Uriah the priest did all this as King Ahaz had commanded. Now, Pastor, there's a lot of different offerings that are, are happening here. Any thoughts on, on the offerings and what's happening? So from what I've, I mean, I didn't find anything that really stood out just going through the commentaries about the offerings themselves. The issue that keeps being brought up is the removal of the bronze altar. Mm-hmm. That was removed from, that was before he, so the bronze altar that was before Yahweh, he moved from the front of the house. And this is the part that was very likely done to appease Assyria. And so this is the part that there's no doubt that some, some elements of what he is doing is being done to appease the Assyrian king. So going back to that whole thing, so the Assyrian, you... You know, you let loose the Assyrian dog, and now 
you have to make sure he doesn't turn on you and yeah, start devouring you. Right. And so you need to do things to keep him fed. And so the first thing they do is they remove the bronze altar. You know, this is dedicated to Yahweh, removing it to keep appeasing the Syrians. And so, yeah, when you're just reading, slide through this, it's like, oh, what's the big, what's the big deal? Do you see? Then you realize, oh, this is what's going on. Okay, and so so what did you find about the bronze altar? What's the significance of the bronze altar? From what I was, you know, <laughs> my research notes are at all. <laughs> I don't have them at me at the moment. But basically, it had to, it was, um, the Assyrians didn't like it. I mean, just to put it simply, they don't like that. They didn't like the bronze. And so he moved it just to appease them. So I, there's probably someone else that would know more detail on that than I do. Right. Yeah. But, it, yeah. It's, even, even when I was looking at it, 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 it doesn't, isn't terribly clear about it, but it says it's made by Solomon, you know, from first Kings chapter eight. And mm-hmm. it was basically now replaced by the great altar of the Assyrian God. And so there obviously would have been a connection with Solomon. That would have been a big deal. Obviously it had more significance of pointing to the one true God of Yahweh. And it also, I want to get your thoughts on this because this relates to our world today. Um, and I'm trying to envision a little bit how we see this in the church and how you would handle it pastorally is because we're not talking about like the picture that grandma painted or grandma, you know, Schmidt painted in the 1950s that is up in the fellowship hall and everyone's going to go crazy that you might remove grandma Schmidt's picture. Um, it's, it's, it's more than that. How would... How would be a way, what would be a challenge, this may be a bit of a challenge today, how would we look at this today where we take something out and replace it with something else that basically changes the whole meaning, I guess? Is that kind of how we would look at this? How would you compare that to something yeah. today? Well, I think the weird thing in our culture is it's not so much where we take away, because I think in our culture, people are, you know, if you move, in, if you change things, you, you could create a, you know, they might you might be in trouble if you move, take something away. But the more likely thing is that people will add something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, I want to, I mean, you know, going back to, you know, I think 1940s Germany, when they would start adding in, you know, they'd start putting um, the Nazi flags and things like that inside of the worship, inside of the sanctuary. Um, that's, you know, that's a very obvious problematic to appease um, the, the Third Reich. Uh, but there are things that <laughs> I don't know if I want to go bring them up because I realize how controversial it can, come up, can be mm-hmm. that um, we put into our altar areas that probably shouldn't be there. And the ironic thing is, is if they were, okay, I'll just say the thing that it comes to my mind immediately it's not the same thing as the third Germany, but is would be the our own flags, the American flag. Yeah. And when you look into the history of that, a lot of it had to do with because people were afraid, there were those who were afraid um, that um, the Missouri Synod Lutherans, who were predominantly German, were traitors, and that they're working, you know, they're working alongside the 
um, the German military or the Nazis or whatever. And so in order to show that we are loyal to the American government, we would make sure there was a flag and sometimes right in the chancel, right next to the altar. And the problem is, is that you're, you're creating a confusion as to who you're serving. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not a, I don't have a problem with American flags. It's, you know, it's just the problem where it's at. And I know, uh, you know, if you get, that might be controversial. I know that. Right. And I, I think the big thing, and you're, you're saying it very well. And, and what big thing we're not saying here is we're not saying, all right, uh, wherever you are, take out your American flag because you are doing the same thing here as a bronze altar. But you are, yeah. we are all have to ask the question, what is appropriate to be put there for the sake of the clarity of the gospel? And I think that's something we all have to ask um, when we do anything, um, because we live in a world that's very confused when it comes to clarity of, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to preach the gospel clearly? And I think you you mentioned this too a little bit in, in VBS in this sense is that there's a whole generation that just doesn't understand the gospel. Like they, they just is not something that they've grown up with. And we want to be as clear as we possibly can, not to confuse it, not to make it more, um, more, uh, uh, like multiple God mentality, but to put it, put it squarely. That altar has a body and blood of Jesus and that we don't want anything to distract from that. And I think that's a good question for each of us to reflect on, um, yeah, we don't want to be controversial and say, get rid of your American flags as if we don't like the American flag or something. But it is good for us yeah, to remember. And, yeah, and placing an American flag is, you know, nothing compared to what's going on here. It's definitely not that problematic. Right. So it's, but it's it's just kind of, I don't know if we have anything in our culture that's that problematic. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, that I can think of. At least amongst yeah. Lutheran churches, I'm sure other church bodies might have something. But I guess we'll we'll leave that alone. Exactly. Um, but, exactly. Yeah. But as far as I know, I don't think we really have as much anything that extreme. That extreme, exactly. So, and that's and that's where we give thanks to our Lord for the way that He guides us as Christians. Um, has guided, I would argue, our church body to make sure that we are very clear on what the gospel is, what our confessions say about the gospel, and and for us to to realize that that's where we are. However. Um, it's good for us to remember, too, that we all do have our own idols because the common line, even though Ahaz is kind of said to be um, to be walking in the way of the kings, that all the rest, many times he would say, and he did what was right in the, in the Lord, but there was always a but statement with all those guys. And the but statement mm-hmm. usually said he wouldn't get rid of the Baal prophets or the Baal idols. He wouldn't get rid of the high places. He wouldn't get rid of the Asherah, which I think very much so relates to our world today as well. So we always have to be on guard and fight the good fight, as the great hymn tells us. So, Pastor, anything else as we look at the first 16 verses? We have a little bit of time um, toward the end of our program here, so I just wanted to make sure we've covered everything in the first 16 verses. Anything that you have? No, not not really. Okay. So, go ahead. I was going to say, other than a few of the wrap-up spots, but I think that will come after this next paragraph. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So let us look at verse, oh, you know what? I want to highlight one more thing, is is as we look at this, you said it before about Uriah, is Uriah is mentioned here, but also in Isaiah. 
And what I've found fascinating as we go through 2 Kings is that uh, in chapter 14, we have Jonah show up. And you mentioned this before, that Jonah is part of this time range. Isaiah is going to come up uh, in the next a few verses here. Um, second Chron- First and Second Chronicles follows the same line. And it shows the breadth of what Scripture points us to, is that it isn't a chronological book that goes all in order, but it is a, a, a book that connects with other um, books of the Bible, Amos and, and Micah and Isaiah and Jonah. It's really the beginning of the time of the prophets that really shows us what's happening and how they're condemning a whole nation and saying, you all need to repent. This is not just an issue uh, for, for King Ahaz. This is a problem for everybody, um, even the famine of the word of God that's incurring, as Amos tells us so well and, and, and well. So I, I don't know, any thoughts on that? Because that's something that I, I liked how you brought up Uriah and Isaiah chapter 8 and how that shows us that the Bible is interconnected that way. Any thoughts there? Yeah, yeah, from my research that, yeah, this text in particular um, Isaiah and uh, Hosea also comes in. Right, right. Um, I can't, but I'm not sure if it, if it comes where that is exactly. Right. If they get to that far. But yeah, Isaiah and Hosea both come into this. And I mean, by the end, you're going to bring Jeremiah into it. And yeah, all these prophets are going to start are very much making their appearances. Yeah, and and we have Jeremiah, uh, uh, a process, and right now um, um, uh, Pastor Tim Apple for Sharper Iron at 8 o'clock in the morning has been going through Jeremiah, and we've been trying to coordinate how we can bring our two kind of texts together and study them together because there is so many connections that connect us to, and, and when you read Jeremiah, when you read Amos, when you read Micah, this is not like the happy clappy uh, version of Holy Scripture is very much so saying, you all need to repent. You need to have faith. You need to look to the Word of God once again, which, let's be honest, we all need that throughout our whole lives. So, anything else before we read the last paragraph, Pastor? Nope. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And King Ahaz cut off the frames of the stands and removed the basin from them. And he took down the sea from off the bronze oxen and that were under it and put it on a stone pedestal. And the covered way for the Sabbath that had been built inside the house and the outer entrance for the king, he caused to go around the house of, of Yahweh because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a step back. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a, of, a, of a joke, I guess you would say. Is, and when I, when I see Hezekiah, and we're going to learn more about him in the next few uh, programs. But I remember at seminary, one of our first days, um, and this is at St. Louis, one of the professors uh, started by saying, okay, gentlemen, it's time to go dig into the scriptures. That's who we are. So I want you to go to the first chapter of Hezekiah. And on all of us, you know, we're, we're young guys. We're kind of like, we know what we're doing. We're ready to go. And he tells us this and, and we're frantically going through our Bibles. You have a few guys who kind of knew what was happening, but most of us were looking through the Bibles and guess what? We could not find the book of Hezekiah. And why is that pastor? 
It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 So it, I, it, it, I, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I know people that will use the book of Hezekiah if they want to make up a Bible verse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So just a reminder for us again that um, we're always learning more of Holy Scripture. But in these last verses, Pastor, uh, what what uh, what's happening here? What's happening for King Ahaz and for the people? Well, verse 17 and 18, it's really, you know, it's just continuing what we are reading in that previous paragraph, because it says right there at the end, because of the king of Assyria. And Mm -hmm. it's just more of the things that he is doing and just changing the space of worship that is dedicated to Yahweh to appease the king of Assyria, because he is afraid of what the Assyrians will do. And here's the thing is, is that, and this is kind of a, um, is it also shows that he, how much he really, really doesn't trust Yahweh because um, he is a son of David. He's a descendant of David. And there is a promise to him. And there is a, and I believe, I can't remember where it is, but at some point, in Scripture, it is promised that they would not be conquered by the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. And so he is not trusting the promises of God. I mean, he is appeasing this Assyrian when he is going to be preserved for the sake of his father, David. And, and the whole thing is, as I told this to people before, is why is it that the northern kingdom, they get conquered by the Assyrians, which is far worse than getting exiled by the Babylonians. But the Babylonians are tough, but not as bad as the Assyrians are. And the reason I keep telling them is because God made a promise all the way to Adam and Eve, and the line to that offspring is in that southern kingdom. God is keeping that promise. Mm. And Ahaz has completely forgotten it has it's nowhere even on his radar and he is terrified of what the Assyrians do. The Assyrians, you know, I was talking about the way they tortured, that's why they did it. Is they knew that if they did the things they did to the people they attacked, nobody would mess with them. They so say, be nice to us, otherwise we're gonna do this to you. And so that's who he's afraid of. And that's, and that's a good reminder of looking at God's promises, that he keeps his promises. Because when he says, I will, will keep the lineage of, of Judah, this goes to Second uh, Kings chapter 8, talks about the son. Um, we hear it in our text in chapter 11. And we see it again here today, that he's going to keep his promises. And so why are you fearing the Syrians? Of course, I think we all can relate with it. Like if we saw the practices, as you said, like another Saw movie, um, you know, and this is this has actually been kind of fun today, Pastor, because not only have we talked about Kevin Bacon and Samuel Jackson, but you even brought up the movies Saw um, as we're joining together on this. That's pretty impressive for one day of work, in my opinion. But if we, if we just yeah, I've, this, never even seen, I've never even seen one of the movies, but I'm familiar with them. <laughs> I was gonna say, if we bring in the Simpsons, we would have a full, a full buffet of of movies and TV references. But anyways, um, but I think if we looked at it, and you, like you said, this is something that you don't really want to bring up, is that I can understand where the fear was. 
But just like that, we need to pray to the Lord, help us in our fears to trust in you above all things. Now, Pastor, you would hear someone say this because it's a very common American line. But as Christians, we don't think as Americans. uh, We think as Christians and fearing the Lord. Someone says to you, Pastor, well, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. How would you address that, um, obviously in a pastoral way, uh, as a Christian? How do we see a line like that, and where? what does that point us to God, and how, how, how should we look at those kind of lines? I mean, that's, it's actually, I mean, there's a, it's one of those quotes that there's a level of truth to it mm-hmm. um, because of the fact, well, I mean, that's um, because of the fact that when we are you know, fear does get us to do really stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is we do have a one to fear, and that is Yahweh. But it, but then again, even later, depends on what you mean by the word fear. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's different kinds of fear. You know, if I tell you there's a ghost in the, you know, you know, in the next room, that's not the kind, that's a different type of fear. And, or if I tell you there's a tiger that's about to charge at you, that's, that's actually probably a good fear that's telling you get out of the way so you don't get eaten. <laughs> right. So, yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, that is, I mean, we do have things to fear. It's just a matter of where that is. And if it's, when we place our fears above, actually, you know, when you fear Yahweh, above all things, those other fears drift away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I'm, I'm oh. there. They pick it out the fly. You are, and you're doing great yeah. at it. <laughs> because it's yeah. not a simple answer. But my mind goes to, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And, and that's yeah. a, just a good reminder for us of how can we point people back to the Lord when such statements come, because that's truly Ahaz's issue is not so much he's not acting like a human being, because he is, just like you and I would, but there's mm-hmm. not someone there that's pointing him. And this goes back to the, the priest Jehoiada and, and other priests, Elisha and Elijah. One of the beauties of all those prophets, and as we see in Amos and others, is that they're able to say, yes, you you are fearful, and there are things to fear. But let me, well, let's go back to the Lord who is your light and your salvation. Look at what he's promised you. And that's the same thing that we have in the church today, is that, yes, there's much that we fear. Let's come back to the Lord and see the light and salvation that's with us. That's the kind of thought I was thinking about this, because it is... Um, that's why we have the church. So, Pastor, we only have a few minutes left here. How would you summarize this chapter? Well, I, I would say it's. I think it's just the ongoing theme of um, the second, first, second Kings, first and second Samuel is looking to the King of Kings. Um, it's one of those reasons why I think it's. I know there's some that don't think the same, but I think it's there's some advantage to having that. You know, Christ the King Sunday at the end of the church year, mm-hmm. and when you and the reason it got established is because in the twenties. We had so, you know, when it was first established, there was so much corruption amongst our political leaders. And let's face it, it really hasn't changed too terribly much. And it's a reminder that, you know, we're supposed to respect them, we honor them, 
but ultimately our trust, you know, going back to our trust is not in princes, our trust is in Christ. Mm. And so much, you know, especially I keep thinking, I think about the what is this last calendar year. And I would, and I would say this is a problem on both on the, the left and the right political leaning is that I, I, I've been seeing a culture where our politics are driving our theology rather than our theology driving our politics. Mm. And Christ is not, has not been the guide, the one leading us. Instead, we keep looking to every other source of information, ever other, every other leader as our hope, as our leader or whatever. And Christ has been put to the side where he's there just enough to serve our political gains and not be the master. And we are, as a culture, we are very similar to King Ahab because we are doing, we're trying to serve a master other than Christ. And it just keeps getting us in trouble. Pastor, you have one more thing to say? That's it. That's where I would end that. All right. (laughs) Pastor Neil Wemus, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa bringing us God's strong word from 2 Kings chapter 16. Pastor Wemus, thank you for being our guest. You're welcome. Saints of our Lord, you've heard us said, nothing to fear but fear itself. And there's a grain of truth in this. However, there is the truth that we do have someone to fear, and it is the Lord. But the Lord is not a Lord who comes to condemn, but he has come to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Which we should say nothing, because nothing can separate us from the love that we have in him through Christ. That is our hope, that is our strength, and that is our salvation. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.